Even if I waste my life, I am welcome home. As Bible readers know, not every story, not all of Jesus' stories end like the prodigal son. Elsewhere in Luke, a stern householder turns his back on a crowd of latecomers who had wasted their first and second chances. Please, sir, let us in, they beg. I tell you, I do not know you, he says, as he locks the door. Last Sunday in church, we heard Jesus' comment on the deaths of some people in a building collapse. Do you think they were worse sinners than you? Yes. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish just like they did. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus warns another crowd. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrown out. With harsh words like that in mind, someone who had never heard this morning's gospel previously might listen now and shudder at the thought of the prodigal son returning home to take his chances with the father. Uh Uh-oh, this ain't going to be pretty, Hoss. The son's hope that his father would hire him on at minimum wage seems naively optimistic. More likely, the father would meet him at the door and rebuke him. You wasted your fortune and broke my heart. You are dead to me. But you know that that's not how the story goes. The father runs down the road to greet his lost son with grateful tears and open arms, a ring for his finger, a robe for his back, a fatted calf, and wine for everyone. I don't think that we can hear this story without it bringing to mind someone that we love and worry over or about ourselves in our own most foolish and wasteful moments. This parable offers hope to everyone. In parables, Jesus teaches from our previous experience. We have seen and understand a parent's love for wayward children. He applies that to disclose a truth that we might not otherwise have known, which is the steadfast love of God for people who are behaving badly. How could we know God loves us even when we don't deserve it? Jesus in the Bible tells us so. But there he also warns us to repent or else. The American eagle holds an olive branch in one talon, arrows in the other. The Bible does that too. Jesus knows his mind, and these different emphases are not at odds with one another. Carrot or stick, he calls us, turn around, come home. Sometimes Jesus echoes John the Baptist. Repent, unless you do, you'll perish. And as a matter of fact, that did happen. A generation after Jesus, Rome destroyed the temple, dispersed the Jews, and Israel was no more for 1,900 years. Only God knows how things might have been different had the crowds heeded the warnings and embraced the gospel. 
In today's parable and others like it, Jesus makes clear that this offer is unconditional. No matter how you fouled up your life, no matter how you fouled up your life, whether respectable people approve of you or not, one strike, two strike, three strikes, four, you are invited to a feast, the fatted calf included. The accent moves back and forth. Warning, promise, warning, promise. But the invitation is the same. Change your ways. Follow me. Leave the far country. Come home. It would be helpful to know how Jesus wanted his followers to change. What were these people doing wrong? If home is how we're supposed to think and feel and live, what is the far country where the foolish squander their inheritance? Violations of the Ten Commandments? Yes, violations of the Ten Commandments. People murdered, lied, stole, betrayed their wives and husbands then, as they do now. That is life in the far country. Hypocrisy? Yes, hypocrisy. People make bold with public stands for righteousness, but don't practice what they preach. That is life in the far country. And of that hypocrisy, Jesus was a fierce critic. In the far country, we let greed direct our actions instead of resisting it as a temptation. The far country is a value set that ignores the needs of others, including the poor, the sick, the hungry, and those in prison. The far country is a faithless, hopeless, loveless, self-indulgent soul. Said Jesus to crowds in the far country, come home. You will be welcomed back with open arms by God. And that offer is still good. If our country lives in us, of course, we bring it to church. Show me a church, and I'll show you people who have failed to toe the lines drawn by the Ten Commandments. Charges of greed, neglect, indifference to neighbor, hatred of enemies, ignorance of God could also stick to most all of us. Critics say the church is full of hypocrites and we're guilty as charged. I feel safe in saying that without exception, the call to repent applies to all of us with new material to repent of daily. I get to repent three times on Sunday mornings and I have fresh material for every service. <laughs> the Big Chill is a movie that I rewatch often. Near the end, there is a tender moment between Kevin Klein and Glenn Close. She is preparing to ask him for an unusual favor and requests a word alone in the kitchen. She takes her husband in her arms and looks softly into his eyes. 
because this is going to be a big favor. Without knowing what she will ask, he assures her that he would do anything for her. I'd even marry you, he says. Oh, wait, I forgot. I already did that. So here we are in church in a tender moment between ourselves and God, prepared to say, yes, Lord, we realize that we have done wrong. At least a few of those things Chris said hit home. We haven't always kept the commandments. We haven't done all we could for other people. Been greedy at times. We haven't paid enough attention to you. Admit our mistakes. We confess and repent. We will arise and come home to you. Oh, wait, we forgot. We already did that. But being Lent, we started the service with a confession. In and out of Lent, we repeat it every Sunday. For our soul's health, we make a habit of it. Week after week, we do the thing Jesus warned that we must do. Repent and return to face God. He waits with a robe for our back, a ring for our fingers, and a celebration. As everyone who has ever tried to be a Christian knows, we are never able to completely leave the far country. It lives in and all around us. Show me a saint, I'll show you a sinner. That much is obvious. We don't need to come to church to be reminded of the obvious. We come to be reminded of the truth that isn't obvious and which is presented to us front and center in the gospel. In the Gospels, Karl Barth writes, everything runs to meet the passion story, yet also everything in the passion story runs to meet the resurrection story. And nothing can be understood except from these two, or better, from the turning point between these two. Those parables of grace and judgment run to meet the passion where they converge and where they are changed. And they're made ready to re meet the resurrection where an even greater change occurs. This culmination of the passion in the resurrection is a new creation. In Christ, in church, we are participants in that. We are born again. This is a fact. Bart backs up and he sets the stage by blending the stories of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. In this blended parable, the son demands his share of his inheritance and he journeys to the far country where he squanders it in reckless living just like before. But now, the father does not wait for his return. He leaves home. He goes out to find his son. In being gracious to humankind in Jesus Christ, Bart says, God doesn't hold aloof. In being gracious to humankind in Jesus Christ, he also goes out into the far country. He does not shrink from us. He does not pass us by as did the priest and the Levite, the man who had fallen among thieves. He does not leave us to our own devices. 
He makes our situation his own. In Jesus Christ, God is the good Samaritan. The whole world is the traveler who has been robbed and left for dead. God comes to our assistance, bandaging our wounds. And now the story runs to meet the passion. The father is captured, tried, and crucified. Good Friday, the prodigal world looks on. And by now, the world's repentance is beside the point. The grace of God is moving by its own steam toward Easter morning and the new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Therefore, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. T.S. Eliot, a Christian, knew better than to brag on Christians and our new creation. In the four quartets, a longish poem, these verses are included. For most of us, this is the aim never here to be realized, who are only undefeated because we have gone on trying. That's what we are doing here this morning, undefeated, trying. Even out here in the far country, the love of Christ is behind us, forgiving our sins and before us, inviting us to follow the Spirit's leading home into a different kind of life, a better life, a life that doesn't want to let us go. A life that fills the far country with sights and smells of home. The love of Christ is to the left and right of us, reminding us to see the people there, both the people to our left and the people to our right. Far country dwellers like ourselves, as new creations, just like we are. Forgive us our trespasses, we pray as we forgive those who trespass against us. That prayer makes home contagious. Undefeated, we march on to meet the passion, and through the passion double time to greet the resurrection. Christ removes the problems in our past and struggles in the present as barriers to our return. His gift of faithful, hopeful, loving life is our new inheritance and our share in the righteousness of God.